Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church, located in Newberry, Florida, where Rocky McKinley is our lead pastor. Thanks for tuning in. Here's today's message. We are beginning a brand new series today, so I'm glad that you're here to receive the first part of this series, the first installment, because you never get all of it. You don't get the whole experience of it with us just recapping every week. And, and so you, you get to, to hear the beginning of this series today, and we're excited about it. Today, we begin a new series called Extraordinary. I want you to say that. Say Extraordinary. Okay, now somebody besides my wife, I want you to say extraordinary. Okay, go ahead. Ready? And we're saying it right. I don't want you to think we're saying it wrong at all because we're saying it as two separate words. We're not saying extraordinary. We're saying extraordinary because this series is not about those that are great and superhuman. You know anybody in your life that just seems like they're great and superhuman and everything seems to go right for them all the time? Be honest. Raise your hand. You know anybody like that? It just seems like everything just goes just according to plan and, and, and their faith is, is tremendous. And this series is not necessarily about them. This series is about the mundane. This is about the people that are ordinary. Anybody ordinary in here today? Yeah? This is about us. This is about those of us that are ordinary. When I say extraordinary, that means your life is not just ordinary, but it's got a few extra doses of mundane on top of it. So it's extraordinary ordinary. This past week, this past Wednesday, my staff and I, we left for a conference in Atlanta called Catalyst. It's a church leaders conference. It's tremendous. I've been numerous times. In the past couple of years, we've been blessed and been able to take the staff. And so we, we go up to this conference and it's, it's a tremendous, tremendous experience. We learn as leaders, we grow as leaders. And, and I, I can tell you, we hear some great worship. I mean, it's just tremendous. Matt Redman was leading worship at this year's conference. He, he writes so many praise and worship songs that we do and other churches do. And so it's a great, great spiritual experience. And it's also a great leadership experience for us. But I will be honest with you and tell you that some of the most enjoyable moments of this trip over the past two years happens to be in the drive up and on the drive back. It, it just stands out to me uh, because what we do is we drive the swagger wagon. If you've been around here long enough, you know what the swagger wagon is. It's the bright green wrapped church van that we have. It sits across the street over at our offices. And so we drive the swagger wagon and, and on the ride up, different people take turns being the DJ. They'll hook their iPhones up through the adapter into the radio in, in the church van. And I know what you're thinking. You're probably thinking, man, I bet y'all listen to some of the best praise and worship. As you, you know, I, I bet at times y'all get a little edgy and you listen to Lecrae, don't you? You know, that, that's what you do, don't you? And I would love to sit here and tell you that, yes, your pastor is holy all the time. And that at all moments of my life when I am listening to music, it is always praise and worship or it is always Christian music. But that's not always the case. And, and I'm sorry if I offend you by saying this, but, but I really, really love being the DJ on, on most of this trip. And I'm going to be honest and just tell you, I commandeer the radio and most of the trip, it's me. And every now and then I let somebody else plug their phone into it and I give them a little taste of what it feels like to be the DJ as we are riding up to Atlanta on 75 and then after the conference on the way back. Now I will tell you, on the way back I was exhausted. I was tired, you know, it was, it was long two and a half days. And so I, I, I'm sitting in the front passenger seat 
Josh is driving. It's getting late. We are somewhere just north of Valdosta, heading home back to Florida. And I am just about to doze off, and I've got my phone in my hand, and you know I'm, I'm fighting, and I'm trying to answer some emails, and I'm checking some messages on, on social media and things, and so I'm just about to doze off. And Pastor Andrew is in charge of the music at this moment. His phone is plugged in, and he's sitting right here. And, and, and I'm sitting there about to doze off, when all of a sudden, Pastor Andrew knows exactly what I need to give me a boost. He, he knows me. He knows what I like. He knows the kind of music I like to listen to. He knows some of my favorite songs of all time. You know, How Great Thou Art. And, <laughs> and he plays a song that I, I will quote myself. He doesn't have to do it. I will quote myself as being one of the most heavenly songs ever made. You, some of you are going to disagree with me, I'm sure. But there's something about this song when it comes on that, that it, just, it just picks me up. And all of a sudden, both hands go up into the air. And literally, when the first note started, I went, oh, Lord. And I just came out of my sleep. And I was, right there, and I was like riding down the interstate. And there's you know, angelic beings surrounding us at that moment. There's no truck or anything going to hit us because we are surrounded. We're buffered by protection. I'm telling you, it was just a holy moment when all of a sudden I hear Def Leppard's hysteria come through. <laughs> you knew where I was heading with that telling you, man, it's just one of those songs that I, I have said from the beginning, uh, it, it is just perfectly written to me as far as the music. And, and it just picks me up. It's the rock ballad of rock ballads. And, and I sat straight up in that seat and I begin to play air guitar and air drums, drums. <laughs> For those of you that don't have a clue about Def Leppard, someone our drummer. And so I played air drums for the next five minutes and 54 seconds. Not missing a beat either. Needless to say, this rock ballad awakened me. I have figured this out about life. Life, or at least much of it, is routine and rhythm. You just go through the same things all the time. It may have a little bit of different face on it, but, but what I've noticed is that you go through the same things all the time. You go to work, you come home, you eat, you sleep, you wake up and you start it all over again. Most of the times you're going exactly back to the same mundane job that you left the night before, before you came home. And there's a rhythm to it. You may not like the rhythm, but there's a rhythm to it. Because the same beat, the same motions, they're coming back around. The rhythm of our lives, they more often resemble a funeral dirge than they do a power ballad. The rhythm of our lives will often just, just put us to sleep. We find ourselves just napping through it. Because let's face it, life can be mundane. And for some of you in the room, or let me put myself in that category, for some of us in the room, life just gets boring sometimes. Would anybody join with me and say that sometimes life just gets boring? And you know, there's those few moments where, where, where maybe occasionally we get to live life at this peak level. 
you know, good or bad, it's, it's at a peak level. You know, there's an emotional high there. You know, like I said, good or bad, it's there. Uh, but let's face it, n- most of the time, life is just mundane. Somebody walked up to me after service, after the first service this morning, and they told me, they said, Pastor, it is hard for me to believe that your life becomes mundane. They said, you live in the extraordinary. You've got people that look up to you. There's always something going on. And and, and I looked at this person, and without missing a beat, I looked at him and I said, but you know what? Sometimes too much of the extraordinary becomes very ordinary. And so I'm just letting you know, I'm not exempt from this. There are moments, and even recently I found myself in a slump, I found myself in a rut. I found myself going through the rhythm that I didn't necessarily care for, but that's the rhythm of life where I was at, and, and it's putting me to sleep. Abraham Lincoln once said, God must love the common man. He made so many of them. I would dare to say that everybody in this room has moments of mundane That everybody in this room has experienced boredom in your life. That probably everybody in this room thinks that you've got an extra dose of extra ordinary. And I can assure you today that if your life feels boring and mundane, you're not alone. Because you're surrounded by people that if they would be honest with you today, they could tell you that at times their life just feels boring, ordinary. But the hope of today is that God does some of his most extraordinary work through the most ordinary events and ordinary people. That God does some of the most extraordinary things in our lives when we don't even see him working, when we don't even see him moving. One of those ordinary people that I'm talking about in God's word is Isaac. You can turn with me to Genesis chapter 26, and I'm going to be reading from there in just a moment. But let me just remind you of a few things about Isaac, things that we know about his life from God's word. First of all, we know that he was the son of Abraham. We know that. Isaac's the son of Abraham. We know that he was the father of Jacob and Esau. We know that he was the grandfather of Joseph. Those are things that we are pretty certain of because God's word says it. And so we can pull that uh, out about his life straight from the scriptures. But but I want you to know that, that the things that are omitted, the things that we don't read, leads me to believe that Isaac's life was pretty ordinary. When you read about his life and you actually get down to the nuts and bolts of it, his life was, was, was very common. It was very mundane. And what the Bible records of, of his life, it's almost always being told of what God did in somebody else's life. And he's just a character role. He's just a role player in, in, in their story. I mean, he was born to his parents 
Abraham and Sarah and their old age to prove God's faithfulness to Abraham because he said, I'm going to give you a son. And so even in their old age, God gives them Isaac, but, but, but that's to prove God's faithfulness. So it's not about Isaac, it's about God and it's about Abraham and Sarah. And then we read about how his father Abraham takes him up to the top of a mountain and, and he's almost killed by his father to prove Abraham's faithfulness to God. Before God provides the ram in the thicket, he is sitting there, you know, on, on this, this altar about to be sacrificed by his father. But again, the story's not about him. When we teach this story, we're talking about great faith that Abraham had in God and how God was, was testing his faith. This man by the name of Isaac, his life story is sandwiched between two great patriarchs of the faith, between Abraham and Jacob. But there's one chapter chapter 26, that we find out more about him and his life in this one chapter. Again, he's, he's mentioned in some other places, but it's always about somebody else, just being a role player. But in chapter 26 of Genesis, we get a moment to see the excitement of this man's life. Verse one, now there was a famine in the land Besides the earlier famine of Abraham's time, and Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me and, and kept my requirements, my commands, my decrees, and my laws. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. And there it is. There's the excitement of Isaac's life. Isaac was very ordinary. In the whole book of Genesis, this is the moment where it's time for him to shine. This is his chapter. This is where he takes center stage. And what we get out of it is there's a famine in the land. And God says, I want you to stay put. Don't move. Stay right there. And that's pretty much the life of Isaac. It's very unimpressive compared to others in the Bible. I mean, as the story goes on and as the Bible continues to be written, there, there's great things that happen. I mean, Moses gets to lead the children of Israel out of bondage, gets to, to lead them to the threshold of the promised land. Joshua gets to take them into the promised land and gets to conquer cities like Jericho. I mean, there's some exciting stories that happen in the Bible. Think about Jonah. It may not be the, 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 the most exciting story or it might not be the most, I, I should say, desired story, but you have to admit his life was not boring when, when basically you're swallowed by a fish and puked up on shore. I mean, that's pretty exciting stuff. I mean, that's, you know, that's, that makes a good movie. But, but for there to be a famine in the land and God just says for you to stay put and this is going to be your story in the word of God. Guys, this is mundane. And this is where most of you live is in this chapter right here because this is your life. Because you're not seeing the extraordinary. You're just there. You're just stuck. You're not moving. I mean, when you think about it, 
Abraham, his father, had to leave behind his homeland, pack up his family, few belongings, and just leave. God said, I'll show you where you need to stop. Just go. That gets pretty exciting. That's a huge step of faith. Abraham fought and defeated four powerful kings and armies to rescue his nephew, Isaac's son, Jacob, wrestles with God, is asleep, and he wrestles with God. And then eventually, his name is changed to Israel. And a nation will be birthed out of him. But Isaac, Isaac just has to stay put and live through a famine. That's his mundane life. And here's what I'm starting to realize about my own life. The older that I get, the more mundane my life becomes. Anybody relate to that? You know what I'm talking about. Some of you that are, you know, students in the rooms and you have no idea, you know, your life is pretty exciting right now, just buckle up and hold on. Because after the whirlwind ends, you can take the seatbelt off and don't worry, you're not falling out because it's a pretty mundane ride. The older I get, the more common my life becomes. There's so many of us in the room right now that we could go stand right over here on the side and compare our lives, and it sounds like we're telling the same story. I mean, you just change our occupations a little bit and things, but you, you start talking about the nuts and bolts of our lives, and, and it feels sometimes that we're just stuck in a rut, that we're not going anywhere. If I prayed right now, you know, you'd leave here depressed, and most of you would have to go to a counselor this week. You know that, right? You're like, Pastor, this is horrible. Why are you telling me all this? It's true, but I don't like it. Because I'm stuck. At moments in my life, I'm stuck in between being Jack McKinley's son because my dad was a pastor before me and he was a great pastor. My dad was a better pastor than I'll ever be. I'm just letting you know. I'm sorry you have to endure me, but my dad was a better pastor. Not only was he a good pastor, but he served on our denomination state council and he was a good state council member. People still talk about it to this day. They, they ask me about him all the time. And so I'm, I'm right here. I'm, I'm known as Jack McKinley's son. And the older I get, the more and more I realize that I'm becoming Kendall and Caleb's father. Because I can, I, I can tweet or, or, or post something on Facebook about, you know, something great that I do. And I may get a few likes but you let me post something on my Facebook about my kids and you will blow it up. You know I'm telling the truth. 200, 300 likes just because she was, you know, homecoming princess in the parade, really? Really? And so I get stuck between being Jack McKinley's son and Caleb and Kendall's father and the older I get, the more mundane it becomes. And your life is just like mine. Change a few little scenery things here and there, and, and your life becomes mundane too. 
And you get stuck right there. And if you're not careful, you, you will quit realizing how God is working and how God is moving in your life. And so I want to share just a couple of things, and I'm almost done, but, but I really need you to listen because God is about to speak to somebody's heart right now. I really want you to listen close to, to, to these two things that I want to share with you that I know about ordinary people. And this is so important, so, so listen close because this is you, this is where you're at. But this is what I know about ordinary people. First of all, God uses ordinary people to serve extraordinary people. You do know there's some extraordinary people on the planet, right? Okay, maybe you don't, you know. But there are. There are some people that God does extraordinary things through their lives. They're amazing, amazing. And it's not just one thing. He continues to do amazing things through their lives. I, let me tell you this. Before I was in ministry, I didn't just graduate and go into ministry. I, I was working a secular job. And... I was serving in the local church. The local church happened to be my father's church where he was pastoring at in Lake City. And, and so I'm telling you, I was, I was faithful to that. Even after I met my wife, we got married, we continued to serve in the church. And, and now mom and dad couldn't make me go to church anymore. You know, growing up, they made me go to church. The only time I ever skipped church ever was on a Sunday night. And my dad didn't even know I was skipping, but it was to go to a Def Leppard concert. But after we were married, mom and dad weren't there to make me go to church anymore, but I loved it. We went and we served. Mandy and I were extremely faithful. I was at the church three nights a week. Praise team practice. I was there on Wednesday nights. We were there on Sunday morning and Sunday night. And some of you are spoiled. We don't even have Sunday night service. You don't even have to go home and feel guilty for not showing up for Sunday night service. God was using me as an ordinary person to serve an extraordinary leader. And even after I went into ministry, God, God still allowed me and allowed my family to serve extraordinary leaders. I don't want you to misread this. This isn't about me being extraordinary and you being ordinary. No, I'm telling you, the past couple of weeks, I have felt very, very ordinary. I'm not saying you serve me. I'm saying God uses all of us, all of us ordinary people to serve extraordinary people. As a young boy, Isaac was drugged to the top of a mountain. His dad took him to the top of a mountain and, and, and ties him up, puts him on an altar because he heard a voice from heaven tell him, sacrifice your son to me. Now, I don't know about you, but... but as a young kid, I would have went kicking and screaming. My dad would have had to knock me out before he ever got me to the top. That doesn't happen because at the bottom of the mountain, Abraham looks at his two servants and he says, you guys stay here. You abide here while me and the lad go up. Don't you think if he's dragging that kid up to the top of that mountain to sacrifice him, if that kid is acting up whatsoever and is scared, those two servants are probably going to step in and, and, and do something. But they don't. They, they, they stay right there. Isaac walks up to the top of the mountain. Somehow his dad convinces him to get on this altar, and he is about to sacrifice him to prove his faithfulness to God. 
and then God supplies a ram in the thicket. I don't know how you can serve someone any greater than that. What greater love does a man have for his brother than to lay down his life? You can't serve someone any better, any more than being willing to lay down your life for their calling. Some of you women in the room, you know what I'm talking about because you've laid down some of your hopes and dreams just so he can fulfill his. Or some of the men in the room, you've laid down even your career at times to make sure she got the education that she needed in order for her to move up because that's what we do when we serve extraordinary people. God will use the ordinary to serve the extraordinary. And God used Isaac to serve his father, Abraham. And finally, God uses ordinary people to influence extraordinary people. God uses ordinary people to influence extraordinary people. The Bible says if you keep reading in that one chapter that we really get the life of Isaac, if you keep reading, the Bible tells us that Isaac redug, dug again, if you will, the wells of his father. The Philistines had come in, they had shoved earth in, into these wells that, that Abraham had once dug to, to give you know, a life to the family so that they would have water to drink. And, and the Philistines come in and, and they cave them in. And, and the Bible says that Isaac redigs the wells of his father. This provided life for his sons, which one of them was Jacob. Now we know this, Isaac lived life in such a way that Jacob wanted his father's blessing and was willing to go to the extremes, even stealing the birthright and blessing from his brother. Now, I know we've heard this message preached, and we talk about what a dirty, rotten scoundrel Jacob was and how God transformed his life. He went from being the deceiver to the prince and all this. We, we get it. We know the story and all that kind of stuff. But I just want you to think about it because there's something in Isaac's life that Jacob wants. That it's, whether it was riches, whether he had set himself up with resources around him, his son either wants that or he wants the wisdom or he wants the blessing from his father, but he is willing to go to extremes to receive what his father has. That Isaac lived his life in such a way that Jacob wants what dad has. We know Jacob's story and how his life is transformed by God and how he becomes the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. But I cannot negate the fact that God used Isaac's life to influence Jacob's life because we know this that according to the Bible the same God of Abraham who becomes the same God of Isaac also becomes the same God of Jacob and so he lived his life in such a way that that his son wanted to serve the same God that his father and his grandfather served because throughout the Bible it says the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob Numerous times throughout Scripture, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And let me tell you why this gives me hope. Is because in between this great man of faith who dropped everything and moved his family and his cattle and everything that he had to follow the call of God, who was willing to sacrifice his son if need be, in between this pillar of faith... And this guy over here that had such a life transformation that he goes from being the deceiver to being the prince and the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. In between these two pillars, 
you've got Isaac. The mundane life. A life that most of us wouldn't want. There's no excitement to it. Hey, hey, Isaac, stay put and live through the famine. That's your story in the Bible. That's you, guy. Enjoy it. But the Bible calls it the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of this great pillar of faith, the God of the mundane, and the God of this guy whose life was completely transformed for the better. It's so easy to look at this life right here and say, you didn't make a difference. God didn't use you. But when you start looking at how he served the extraordinary man and how he influenced the extraordinary man, you start seeing for just a moment how God can use your life, even in the middle of the mundane. How you can serve the extraordinary and how you can influence the extraordinary. They may not look like it right now, but parents, listen to me. We've got one chance, one shot. We've got to get it right because we don't get to be parents to that particular child over again. You've got one chance, and you have the chance to influence the extraordinary. Do you believe your child can be extraordinary? I've said this so many times. I believe this about my children. I'm not put, trying to put added pressure on them, but I believe that Caleb and Kendall are going to do greater things for God than what I ever did. I believe that with my whole heart. But I'm, so help me God, I believe they're going to do greater things than what I will ever do. My influence and the God that I serve and they see me serving, it has to influence their lives because I only get one shot at it. Your life may seem very boring to you. But without Isaac, Abraham doesn't even have a sacrifice to offer to God. Without Isaac, Jacob probably becomes a worshiper of some pagan God, not the God of his father and grandfather. In between services, a scripture came to my mind. I want to read it to you. Don't panic. It's not in the computer. So just, just let me read it to him real quick. It's 1 Corinthians. And I'm going to be reading from, from chapter 1. And then I'm going to close. We're going to get out of this thing. But, but 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. Listen to what Paul says. And, and listen, because this is talking about your life right now. He says, brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Anybody in the room feel that right now? You're not wise by human standards? Let me tell you, I am not qualified to do what I do. It would scare you if you knew how unqualified I am to preach God's word. You think about it hard, you won't show up next Sunday, I'm telling you. He said, not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. Any royalty in the room? Raise your hand high. Let me see it. Verse 27 says, But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. That's us. 
The foolish things of the world, that's me. He says, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. That's me. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. In other words, God will use the ordinary to influence and to serve the extraordinary. I've actually had the privilege of seeing this particular cactus that you can only find in South and Central America, but I've never seen it in all of its glory because there's very few people that have. It's called the queen of the night, this particular cactus, and it only blooms at the most one night, not day, one night per year. And sometimes it can, it, it can be even two or three years, but you only get it to happen at least, at the most rather, one night per year. All year long. It just looks like this ordinary, ugly mundane cactus. It sits dormant. It's plain. But one night a year, the queen of the night reveals itself for what it really is. But it happens when nobody's watching. When nobody is watching because on this one special night, every year, somewhere between 3 and 4 a.m., it blooms to a white, royal-looking flower. I've watched kids play soccer right beside a cactus like this. And they don't even pay any attention to it because it's just ugly. It's just an ugly cactus vine-like that just kind of runs along the ground. People can have them right out their front door, right out beside their porch on the front of their house. Never even realize it. You could have one in your yard and not even know the treasure that you have unless you happen to walk by it between three and four o'clock on that one particular night when God allows it to shine in all of its glory. Not for the world to see. You see, if I created something like that, I would want the whole world to see it. But God didn't create it for the whole world to see it. I think God intentionally created this thing the way that it is so that on one night a year, possibly every two or three years, on this one particular night, God gets to see it in its glory. You see, for some of you, you're wondering why their life is extraordinary. And I don't know why, but God prepares some lives to be blessed publicly. He, he, he prepares some people as vessels of honor is what the New Testament tells us. And, and, and they're there for a reason for him to display his glory to the whole world. But then there's other people that, that the world doesn't get to see 
all of the glory that God has in your life because it's only going to come out in the darkest moment when nobody else is awake and nobody else is looking for it and it's all in that one moment when God is watching and he says shine just for a moment here's my glory let me tell you how this has played out in our lives if he's called you to be a stay-at-home mom, I know your life gets pretty boring, mundane. I know it. But in the middle of that boredom, stuck in a rut, if you will, be the best stay-at-home mom that you possibly can. Don't let there be a better stay-at-home mom on this planet because when nobody else is watching God's glory shines through you when nobody else is watching you're influencing and serving you're creating something that's going to be extraordinary if you're stuck driving your kids to soccer games and you feel like a chauffeur a taxi then you be the best chauffeur you could possibly be. Shine when nobody else is watching. Be extraordinary for a moment because we're not called to be extraordinary to the world. We're called to be extraordinary to him. If he's called you to wash the dishes, then you be the best dishwasher you can possibly be. If he's called you to take the garbage out and put it by the road every evening, then I want you to do like I do. I know I'm a little OCD and so it comes into play, but you take it out there and you make sure that that trash can is lined up with your driveway just right. And this is going to get some of you right now. You're going to feel conviction hit your heart right now because you're used to just taking it out. Don't you put that garbage can on my grass. I work hard to get my grass the way it looks. I don't, it, trash man, do not put that garbage can, put it back in the driveway the way you found it. That's how I want it. But you be the best garbage can taker outer that you could possibly be if that's what God's called you to do. If he's called you to sell insurance, then you go sell insurance to the glory of God. When nobody else is watching, you do what you need to do to be the best at it. If he's called you to be a teacher, an administrator, if he's called you to be a pastor, then you go be the best pastor you can be. Because because you've got a son watching you be the best pastor. And your ordinary life is creating something extraordinary in him. He hasn't called all of us to be extraordinary to the world. But he's called all of us to be extraordinary when nobody else is watching. him and that's all that really matters
Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. We pray you have been blessed by today's message. We would love to meet you in person. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org or call the church office at 352-472-3284. Thanks again for listening. Destiny Community Church, for life's journey.